0: Well, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. Guys, my name is John. I'm the executive director around here. Two weeks in a row, big day for me. Anyway, so if you were here last week, let me just kind of recap last week. So Adam, our lead communicator, for the first time ran the slides in the back of the room. He runs these things, all these things over here, uh, and it was a hot mess. I mean, if you saw like the video stop too soon, the slides were like either too slow or too fast, and afterwards he comes up to me and goes, oh my gosh, He goes, I'm so sorry. He goes, you have no idea how hard it is to run these slides. He goes, it is way easier to go up there on the stage and speak. So anyway, we had that. And then for me, not only did my microphone and pack fall off once, twice, but three times, which is like, that's never happened before. And that threw me a little bit. I mean, anyway. So I go to Andrew, the guy who runs all of our tech and media, and I go, let me ask you a question. This is like never happened before in DHC. Why was the pack falling off? And he goes, well, it's simple. I said, well, what's the answer? He goes, your butt's getting too big. And I said, oh, great, perfect, (laughs) wonderful. Thank you. It's those squats, or maybe it's the donuts. I don't know. Anyway, so we are in this message series called Less of Me. And um, what we're trying to do over this next couple of weeks is we're trying to remove ourselves from the equation, remove me from the equation, trying to take a step back and say, all right, how do I focus less on myself and more on others? Less on myself and more on God. So when I was thinking about less of me, I was trying to figure out, all right, in what aspect of our lives is me most prevalent? And I understand this is grammatically incorrect, but you see what I'm trying to do here, right? In what aspect of our lives is me most prevalent? And I was thinking about all the various things that go on in our lives, the day-to-day, the year-to-year, all that kind of a thing. And one thing jumped out. One thing jumped out where me is most prevalent, and it's with our stuff, our stuff. Whether it's our money, or it's our houses, or our boats, our cars, our jewelry, you know, all of these things, our stuff is where we find ourselves most prevalent. Because when we think about our stuff, we say a couple of things. We say, I worked for it, or I saved for it, or I spent time away from my family to get it. Now, once we've amassed all of our stuff and we have it behind us and we take a look at it, we say some things. We say, This is what I've accomplished, right? This exemplifies what I'm worth, right? Maybe for you that means what I'm worth financially, or or maybe it's what you're worth as a person. If that's the case, that's a whole other sermon series that we can talk about. But maybe for you, you look at your stuff and you just say, This shows my status, this shows the world what my status is, my class, right? And as Countess Luanna, the Real Housewife says, money can't buy you class. And that's true, it can't. But I was thinking about our stuff and and the way that we talk about it. And I was saying, well, what's a question that we can answer today? What can we dive in and talk about? And I thought it'd be very important to talk about who actually owns your possessions. These things, whether it's our bank account or your boats, your cars, your house, who actually owns all of these possessions that we hold so dearly? Is it God? or is it you? And so I dove into the Bible and I started looking at the teachings of Jesus and and, and what Paul had to say about this and reading a bunch of commentaries. And what became clear to me about this question is that it's actually the wrong question. It's actually the wrong question. It's not a bad question. And I actually want to talk about it later on today. It's not a bad question. In fact, churches all over the city in America talk about this all the time. It's very important. But for us, I think there's a more fundamental issue that we actually need to get at, because Who owns your stuff is not what we want to talk about right away. We actually need to talk about who owns you. Who owns you? So in Jesus' life, he would walk town to town, city to city, and he would be teaching. And very frequently, people would come up to him, and they would have a question for him. Now, more times than not, these questions were posed in a way so that it would trip Jesus up. It would get him to say something that he would get in trouble for, perhaps maybe get arrested for, and maybe even killed. But every so often, somebody would have a real question for him. And so today, we're going to take a look at one of these real questions. It's in Mark chapter 10, and it starts in verse 17. So let's kind of just hop right in. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open up, or as always, it's on the screen. So as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Here's a couple of things that I notice about this. Number one, and I just saw this yesterday, I've been working on this all week, but this man ran up to Jesus and fell on his his knees. There's an urgency about what this man is talking about. I have a feeling that he has been searching this topic forever, and all he's looking for is assurance. He wants to know that when he dies, that he's going to go someplace good. And the way that he poses this question, what must I do? It's clear that he's looking for some kind of system of beliefs. What can I do? so that I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, right? This me, 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 me. So Jesus says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? You see, what's interesting about this word good that this guy uses is that he's not saying to Jesus, you're a good guy. He's not saying you're a stand-up guy. He's not even saying you're a moral man. In the original language, this word good almost means you are inherently good. There's something good about you that is different than everybody else. So Jesus says, "Why do you why do you call me good? No one is good except God." So, what are you saying? What are you driving at? What are you are you saying that I'm Cuz it sounds like you're saying that I'm no one's good except God alone. And you know the commandments. So he plays along with the guy. He goes, "Okay. You're looking for a system of beliefs? You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal." You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your mother and father. And the guy goes, teacher, teacher, stop, 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 stop. All of these I've done. All of these I have kept since I am a boy. I've done all of these things. He's saying, I'm good too. I've done all these. I'm good too, but I'm missing something. What else am I missing? Because I don't have assurance, and I need assurance. What else can I do so that I have assurance? And I love this next verse. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And what Jesus does in this this moment is that he looks into this man's life. He shines a spotlight into this man's life and he opens him up for all to see. And Jesus gives him the opportunity of a lifetime. He goes, all right, there is one thing you lack. There is one thing you lack. I could just see the guy kinda getting ready to write down. Okay, go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. And I could just picture the guy saying like, wait, hold on, wait, wait, wait. You want me to sell everything I have and give it to the poor because, and then follow you? Is that what you're saying to me? And I could just picture the other disciples going, well, this sounds very familiar. Yeah, I mean, because Jesus told John that he had to leave behind the fishing and go follow him, he told Matthew, he had to leave behind the tax collecting and go follow him. So he's telling you, for you, go sell your stuff and go follow him. You see, as modern Christians, we miss this. We miss the fact that Jesus, in this moment, offered this man the chance to become a disciple. Jesus has only done that to 12 other people in his life, and he's saying to this guy, sell your stuff, follow me. But as modern Christians, we kind of get caught off in Jesus' answer. He's telling this guy, well, if you want to inherit eternal life, you've got to sell all your stuff. And, and all we're saying is, well, that's not even the right answer. Right? If someone came to me and they said, John, let me, how, do I, how do I get to heaven? What do I have to do so that I know that I'm going to have eternal life? I would never say, well, it's easy. Go sell all your stuff, give your money to the poor, and then go follow Jesus. Right? That's not the right answer. Or is it? Right? Or is it? Because if you've been around DHC for any length of time, you know that Jesus always answers the question that nobody asked. He always does that. He's always answering the question that nobody asked, the deeper question, the thing that you're not really thinking about, but you actually are. You see, in this conversation, this man wanted one thing. He wanted a system of beliefs, something that he could do so that he would have assurance when he died, all he wanted was to go to a good place. That's all he wanted from this conversation with Jesus. He just wanted to go somewhere good when he died. But Jesus wanted something else in this conversation. He wanted something else. In this answer that he gave to this man, he was going to use this opportunity to expose the world to the heart of God. For this man, for that crowd, for us. In this moment, he was going to expose the world to the heart of God. And he said a couple of things. He said, God wants some things from you. God wants your love, He wants your loyalty. And he wants your follow ship. Now, Adam and I sat around the table this week for a solid 10 minutes and we go, okay, we need a better word than follow ship because number one, that's not a real word. Number two, it's very Christian-y. We couldn't come up with anything. So you're stuck with follow ship. He wants you to follow him. You get what I'm saying here? And he's saying to this guy, you're missing the point because you're thinking about eternity as it's just some place where you go and you die and it's just so much more than that. He says, eternity isn't just a destination. It's a relationship. Eternity is a relationship with me, Jesus. It's not about just the hereafter. It's about the here and now. John talks about this in John chapter 17. He goes, this is eternal life, colon, meaning here comes a definition. This is eternal life. That day, meaning all of us, may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You see, right here for this man, this is what I'm gonna call a defining moment. This is a defining moment in this guy's life where Jesus is offering something, an opportunity of a lifetime. He's saying to this guy, you have the opportunity to follow after me, to be one of mine. We have to deal with something first. We gotta take care of one thing before we go any further. We gotta deal with your primary loyalty. We have to deal with your primary loyalty. For you, you need to sell your stuff, you need to give it away. And when Jesus told that to this man, this man realized something about his life that he never knew before. He realized that his stuff owned him, he realized that his stuff owned him. And it goes on and it says, at this request from Jesus, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He looked in the face of Jesus, he looked at God, the universe, and he said, no, no, I've got too much stuff. I'm too busy, and I've just got too much to manage. I've just got too much to manage. No, Jesus, we can't make that happen today. What I find so interesting about Jesus, and and admirable, to be quite honest with you, is that Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about money. He wasn't. Now, this is something I did not know until I studied it this week. 16 out of 38 parables dealt with money and possessions. If you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a made-up story that Jesus created to tell a real truth. So 16 out of the 38 lessons that Jesus gave dealt with money and possessions because he knew something about us. He, He knew human nature. He knew that nothing competes more for your heart than your pursuit and management of money. Nothing competes more for your love of Jesus, for your love of God, for that God, whatever you need, I'm going to do. Wherever you need me to go, I'm going to go. Nothing competes more for your heart than your pursuit and management of money. Here's something I know. That if you've said yes to Jesus, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, I know that at some point in your life, you too will have a defining moment financially. I know this because the Bible's very clear on it. At some point in your walk with God, he's gonna step into your life as he did to this man, and he's gonna say, I want you to give to my kingdom. I want you to be a part of building my kingdom here on this earth. Basically, he's saying as he did to that man, I need you to part with some of your stuff for me and for others. And in that moment you'll discover who owns you. In that moment based on your response to Jesus or God's prompting in your life you will know who owns you. Now you may say a couple of things. You may say, well all my life I've gone to church. Right? We call this the Christian checklist. I did it last week. All my life I've gone to church. I read the Bible. I know it cover to cover. I can quote it. I know the characters. I know the stories. I know the parables. I know it all. I pray daily. I read. I think I skipped one. There it is. And I serve others. I volunteer at church. I've given up my right to be right in my personal relationships. I've done all these things. You see, we find ourselves in the same position that that man did where he said, Jesus, I've done it all all those commandments, I've done it all. But nothing takes you to the core of your being like your response to this moment. It's the truth. Nothing takes you to the core of your being like that defining moment in your life when God says, I need you to give to my kingdom. Now, there is good news. And many churches won't tell you this, and perhaps you've gone to a church before that's going to tell you the opposite of what I'm about to tell you but God doesn't need your money. God does not need your money. Jesus did not tell this man, go, sell everything, liquidate it, and bring the cash to me. He did not say that. He said, give it to the poor. God doesn't need your money. It's not about the amount. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants your love. He wants your loyalty, and he wants your fellowship. You see, because in Jesus' mind, the chief competitor for your devotion to God isn't Satan, and it's not sin, right? We don't wake up on like a Tuesday and go like, all right, what is it? It's nine o'clock, I'm free, I'm gonna go follow after Satan today, right? I'm gonna get into some sin today. That is not what Jesus is saying. In Jesus' mind, the chief competitor for your devotion isn't God or Satan, it's your stuff. It is absolutely 100% your stuff. And if you don't believe him, He says this in Luke, he goes, no one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, cannot serve both God and money. Now, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard this so many times, and you just say, okay, listen, I understand this is I understand this is Jesus using hyperbole, right? That's how Jesus taught. Grand exaggerations to prove a point. I get it, Jesus, I get it. But that's not me. That's not me. I serve God. I do not serve money. And that may be the truth. That may be the truth. But when you have that defining moment in your life, When God steps into your life and shines that spotlight into your soul as he did to that young man, and he says to you, I need you for the first time in your life to think about tithing. You've grown up in the church. You've read the Bible. You know what it says. I need you for the first time in your life to step up and give back to me what's mine. I need you to tithe. Or maybe he steps up into your life and he whispers into your ear and he says, I need you to help out with that school fundraiser. And I'm not just talking about buying a t-shirt to help the baseball team. And I'm not just talking about buying a raffle ticket. I'm talking about stepping up in a real way to make a a difference in the life of those students. A difference in the life of that school because you have the ability to do it. That's the one thing that I need from you. Or maybe the defining moment in your life is him saying to you, I need you to help a friend. Because you know who I'm talking about. That person who needs help right now. I need you to help them. And of course we say to God, well, God, I don't don't lend money to friends. Good, he says. Don't. Give it to him. Give it to him. This is the one thing that you lack that I need you to do. Whatever it looks like in your life, because it's different for all of us. When he challenges us, to grow his kingdom, and we say no. The answer's clear who we're serving. The answer is very clear who we're serving. And maybe you've come to the awkward conclusion like that man did that stuff may have more of an impact in your life than you thought. Maybe your devotion to God isn't as good as you thought. I think a lot of us find ourselves in that situation. Maybe we rely on our stuff too heavily. Maybe we actually serve our stuff and not God, but I want to circle back to the very beginning like we talked about. Who actually owns this stuff? Because this is an important question to, to talk about. The problem is this, many of us, I'll say all of us, we live under the assumption that it's all for our consumption. Everything we have, we live under the assumption that it's all for our consumption, that it's all for us, and if everything If everything that comes to you is for you, think about that. If everything that comes to you is for you, you're only going to use it on you. You're only going to use it on you. But here's something you need to recognize. And the Bible talks about this from cover to cover. God blessed you with it so you could be a blessing to others. Whatever you have, God has blessed you with it so you can be a blessing to others. Now, I understand you worked for it. I understand you saved for it. I understand that you spend time away from your family to get it, but the Bible is clear. Everything we have from our health to our wealth is on loan from God. They use the word "stored." We're but managers of everything that we have. That's a big difference. If you can grasp that, that's a life-changer. Because just because it's ours doesn't mean that it's ours. Just because we call it our stuff doesn't mean it's our stuff. God has something better in mind for it. God can break you from the bond of stuff when you realize it's all his. And it's the truth. God can change your life, can change the way you see the world, can change the way you see your stuff when you realize it's all his. Now, I've got a disclaimer And if you've checked out by now, check back in, because I understand this is church. Check back in. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about money, okay? Jesus was not afraid to talk about money, um, but I was. I was. Because my greatest fear, my greatest fear is that you all would think, my friends and family would think, that we concocted this message so that you would give to DHC, that this is just some big sales pitch. That we did all of this so that you would give your money to us. Here's what you need to know, and, and I wanna be clear about this. Churches can operate but for tithes and offerings. That is the case. We cannot do what we do without your generosity. But today, this message, what happened with this man thousands of years ago, this is not about giving money to DHC. This is about you and your relationship with God, and that's it. Do not misunderstand me at all. This is about you and your relationship with stuff, and hopefully you've gotten to a place where you realize that maybe, just maybe, we may have had a slightly unhealthy relationship with our stuff, that maybe, just maybe, our our stuff dictates the way that we serve God rather than God dictating the way we use our stuff. So what's the practical for today? There's just one and it's this. Don't miss out on the opportunity God puts before you. When he steps into your life, and he says, here's the one thing that you lack. Here's the one thing I need you to do in terms of building my kingdom. Don't miss out on that opportunity. Because when you say yes, when you say yes to God, when you say yes in that moment, a couple of things happen. You will be blessed when you say yes to god in this moment you will be blessed and i don't mean that he's going to shower you with money that is not the case i mean you'll be blessed in here when you say yes to getting involved in building god's kingdom you will be blessed for it let me just give you an example and this is just the one that i know several years ago several individuals from across this state and across this nation felt the call of God in their life, that they wanted to help support Downtown Harbor Church. They said, we want to give back to this church for as long as we can until this church is self-sustaining. And I can't begin to tell you how many emails and calls and texts I get from them when they say, you have no idea what a blessing it has been to be a part of this church. When we see the life change, when we see the baptisms, it is such a blessing to be a part of building God's kingdom. This has been an amazing opportunity. Don't miss out on that. Whatever is in your life, your school fundraiser, right? Helping a friend, don't miss out on what that could be in your life. But if you choose to say no, a couple things happen. Number one, you do miss out on that blessing. When you say no to serving God in a way where you are building his kingdom on this earth, you miss out on that blessing. You don't get to be a part of something bigger than yourself, you miss out on that. But here's what else happens. God's going to get it done anyway. His plan for his kingdom on this earth will not stop because you said, no, he will find somebody else to jump in in your place. And I just don't want to see that for you guys. Say yes. Whatever that looks like in your life, say yes. And most importantly, if you hear nothing from me today, hear this. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He wants your love. He wants your loyalty. And he wants your fellowship. Let me pray for us.